Church of Christ presents Abide With Me, the sermon by the Reverend Gene Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, May 26th, 2019. I've been a little tense these past few days. Ethelyn can attest. As many of you know, my husband David and I will be heading east tomorrow. We'll fly to Boston, then drive the four and a half hours to Bangor. On Tuesday, we'll drive the last few hours of the trip to David's hometown, Machias, Maine. And there we will begin the difficult job of packing up a few essentials so that we can bring David's mother, Gloria, back here to Oregon with us. Her dementia is advanced enough that telling her these plans ahead of time does not make sense. Her dementia is advanced enough that our two-day return trip, driving to Boston on one day, flying home on the next, will probably be intense and fraught. But that's not why I'm tense. I have confidence that David and I are doing the right thing. And I have peace, believing that undergirded by the prayer of all our friends and our two church communities, all will be well. No, it's not the trip that really has me spun up. What's really got me tense is that while we are away, my sister-in-law and her husband will be in Portland. They'll be in town to make sure that all of Gloria's newly ordered furniture and the clothes and small personal items that we send ahead will be in her room waiting for her to create a welcome, which is lovely. But they'll be staying at my house, (laughs) which is not remotely lovely at all. It's not just that my house is pretty much constantly in need of a deep clean, which I blame on the golden retriever. It's that everywhere I look in the house, on the deck, in the yard, there is something that needs to be repaired, replaced, or at least reorganized. Something that needs to be weeded, pruned, repainted, or restained. The whole place is crying out to me, I'd like a do-over, please which makes my heart feel tight and unwelcoming and keeps my mind fixed on my own perceived lack. Instead of where it should be, on offering a loving and unselfconscious welcome, which is all the moment requires. In fact, that is all that the life as a disciple of Christ requires, to be willing to both give and receive welcome. We see this modeled for us today in the story of Lydia. In Lydia, we have another almost forgotten woman of the Bible. Like many of her sisters in the text, we learn just enough to make us thirsty for more. But we do know this. She was Greek, having come from the city of Thyatira, a Greek colony in what is now Turkey. And she lived in Philippi in Macedonia, which is the northeasternmost part of Greece. It's not a description that the Greeks of the day would have found flattering because they still found Europe, that great mainland to the north of them, to be backward and barbarous. But Lydia's conversion is the first recorded conversion of a European person. She was a Gentile, but also a God-fearer, 
that is a Gentile curious about and perhaps devoted to the God of Israel, someone who prayed with the Jewish community. And she was a trader in purple cloth, cloth that was arduous to produce and expensive to own. She may well have been wealthy herself. She certainly dealt with wealthy folks as they are the only ones that could have afforded what she sold. And Philippi was full of wealthy folks and ardent supporters of Rome. It was, in fact, a sort of retirement community for Caesar's generals and higher-ups, Lydia's customers. She was also the head of her household. We don't know who made up the rest of her household, a husband, children, workers, siblings, parents. The text doesn't tell us that. Only that when she was baptized, her whole household was baptized with her. And that, having been baptized, she immediately and urgently invited Paul and Timothy and Silas to come and stay at her house. She seems not to have even paused to reconsider these foreigners in her home. She was unfazed by their otherness. She was unfazed by any sense that her home might not be enough, that she might not be enough. In fact, she almost dares Paul to deny her. If you have found me faithful to the Lord, which really reads, since you have found me faithful, you will come and stay. Paul, who came along an uncertain route in response to a vision, in order to give something, became the recipient of Lydia's insistent hospitality. Because it is like that in the realm of God. The way to belong is to be willing to both give and receive, to be both host and guest, to abide together. I was reminded as I read this text of experience, experiences I've had while leading youth group kids on service trips and the lessons we learned about being both host and guest. Many years ago now, I took a group and we traveled to Rosarito Beach, Mexico to volunteer our time and labor to build a house, a very simple house. The family for whom we were building lived on the site just next door. The house where they were currently living was made of found materials. It had one large room with two sets of bunk beds, a table, stove, and refrigerator, all in a space slightly smaller than my own living and dining room. It was uninsulated, windowless, and had a dirt floor. The house that we helped to build had a cement floor, two rooms, windows in every wall, a front door that locked, and legal access to the electrical grid, which up until that time the family had been patching into in ways that were not just illegal, but really unsafe. The building was hot and hard work. We cleared and leveled the plot, built the frame, hand-mixed and poured the cement, and then we smoothed the cement and smoothed the cement and smoothed the cement. It wasn't very good. The next day, we began framing it up. Then came the roofing, then measuring and pounding in the support nails to spread the chicken wire across. And we spent hours with our hammers wrapped inside that chicken wire, pulling to get it taut and taut. And then we unwound it all and did it again to make it even more taut, 
so that it could hold the stucco that we then spread. And when you spread stucco, first of all, you have to mix it by hand. Well, we had to mix it by hand. And you have to get it just the right consistency. If it's too thin, it all runs down and forms a puddle at the base of the wall. If it's too thick, it falls off in big chunks. It was heavy and ungainly work. And more than a few naughty words were said by the youth minister. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> if that stuff landed on you and you didn't brush it off right away, it formed a small burn on your skin. It was hard. And we did this hard work for four whole days for a couple who spent their entire lives doing hot, hard, heavy work at the factory where they worked 12 hours a day. Every day when we were on site, the matriarch of the family, the grandmother, who had her own home business making pinatas for the market, would bring, bring something out to us. One day, it was ice-cold cold Cokes. She had sent her grandson up the hill to get them for us from a little shop that was run out of somebody's house. And when he came back down the hill with his prize of two bottles, two two-liter bottles of Pepsi, she just shook her head and pointed back up the hill. Coke was the only thing. We did not want to accept it, knowing how little she made and how much it cost, but we also couldn't say no, and it tasted very good. The next day, it was watermelons. They were sold from the back of a beat-up Toyota Corolla that rolled through the neighborhood with music blaring, much like an ice cream truck would roll through suburbia. The final day, the matriarch set her own work aside, and with several of her sisters, she spent the morning bent over her kitchen table then built an outdoor fire and filled a pot with tamales. I have never tasted food ever again that tasted quite that good. There were 18 of us, 12 teenagers, and everyone ate their fill. That's a lot of tamales. Our delight in the food was completely genuine, and our host's pride in her skill and her family recipe was radiant and unfettered by self-modesty or self-consciousness. She was simply proud to offer what she had made. We gave and we received. Our hosts allowed us to give our labor and our time. We had no choice but to allow ourselves to be guests at her table. And this is the real and the deep lesson of this kind of trip. I know that it will be the lesson when we travel to Pine Ridge too. We do not go to give to the less fortunate out of our largesse. We go to be in solidarity, to give and to receive. We go to get to know one another and to be reminded together that we all belong to the same household of humanity. Because it is like that in the realm of God, the way to belong is to be willing to both give and receive, to be both host and guest, to abide together. Which brings us back to Lydia. As the story unfolded after our reading from today, after an exorcism that healed an inconvenient person and angered some wealthy ones, after an imprisonment, a magical prison break, and a noble refusal to leave, lest the prison guards get punished, Paul and Timothy and Silas returned to Lydia's house. That place had become the nerve center for the very first Christian community in Philippi, 
the very first Christian community in Europe. We're used to hearing in the Bible that powerful men made decisions for their households. How does that strike our ear when a woman does it? How ironic that much of European Christianity has long prevented women from being leaders in the church when the first European Christian was a Gentile woman. This is something unexpected for us in the text, and it makes our patriarchal church history more perplexing and more frustrating. When we think of the countless women whose work and whose stories must have gone untold, we wonder what has been lost to the world. We wonder about the lives of those silenced women. It was Maya Angelou who said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. But of Lydia, we know this much. A businesswoman, a head of household, a Gentile God-fearer, her heart was open and eager to hear the gospel. She was ready before Paul even wandered down to the river to that place of prayer. And her immediate response to her baptism was to throw open wide the door to her house so that others could stay. I'm caught by this word, stay. The Greek word, meno, can also be, and all its different forms, can also be translated dwell, or make a home with, or abide. It's a favorite word, and indeed a foundational idea for the author of John. Today's reading is from John's farewell discourse to his disciples. He's reminding them that although he's leaving them, he is not going to leave them bereft. Those who love me will keep my word. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will abide with them. I am going away, but the Father is sending another advocate, the Spirit, who will teach you everything you need to know, who will remind you of everything I've taught you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm going away, and I'm coming to you. It's more poetic than clear, I grant you, but the effect of all that coming and going is to remind us that for John, this is the good news, that every single one of us is invited to be caught up in that relationship of abiding presence that Jesus shares with the Creator. For many of us, this passage rings on the ear as an echo because we've heard it at a funeral service. But it isn't just about a dwelling place with God in an ongoing life beyond this life. It's about abundant life and presence here and now. It's about allowing ourselves to come into awareness of God's presence, letting that awareness well up in our interior silence so deeply that we are filled with a peace that the world cannot give. John's community was living under Roman impression, and this was the peace that the world knew, the peace provided by force, the peace that rested on the work of the poor and the blind eye of the wealthy to the suffering of the poor. Into this, Jesus said, I am not leaving you orphaned. You will not be alone. For John, the incarnation is not completed by Jesus's teaching, or crucifixion, or even the resurrection. For John, the work of the incarnation 
is for Jesus to be reunited with the Creator and to take us with him into that union. Our work as the church, then, is not so much to believe, meaning to give intellectual assent to things, but to trust, to live with hearts open to the presence of God, to the presence of God in ourselves, in the world, and in each other. Our job as the church is to express this welcome and union in our community and to the world. Maybe like me with my anxiety around house guests, you think, well, I have to redo things first. I have to fix what is wrong in me and in my house before I can even begin thinking about letting my guard down, letting others in to see what I am truly like, how I actually live. But Lydia shows us the way in throwing open her doors. Paul and Timothy and Silas show us the way by bringing good news to her and then abiding in her welcome. Because it is like that in the realm of God. The way to belong is to be willing to both give and receive, to be both host and guest, to abide together. Amen.